you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds are carefully stewarded to generate money that supports charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. On this episode, we learn about the Rusin Family Hospice Centre. It is the first freestanding residential hospice in Edmonton, and it's operated by the Pilgrims Hospice Society. We know end-of-life discussions are not the easiest of topics. Grief is big and weird and hard. It's also a reflection of the love we carry for one another. This is something that the team of Pilgrims Hospice understands. In this new hospice designed to feel more like home, There is also a focus on providing compassionate support and programming for patients and their families, including children, teens, and caregivers. Our correspondent Scott Lilwall visited the Rusin Family Hospice Centre to learn more. When you step into the front doors of the Rosen family house, you might think you're entering a comfortable little bed and breakfast. There's soft Christmas music playing in the entrance room, and in the stone hearth on the far side of the wall, a fire is burning. Beyond the comfortable chairs and the plump Christmas tree in the corner, a window looks out over the courtyard. There's a barbecue out there, some wooden benches, and a few hardy shrubs that are surviving under the snow. Spend more time there, and you'll start to notice details about where you really are. Someone in scrubs walks by, pushing a lunch cart down the hall. On the round coffee table in the middle of the room, there's a stack of books with titles like A Healer's Guide to Dying. And right near the front desk, a stack of printed handouts gives tips on how to deal with grief during the holidays. This brand new building, nestled on a quiet snow-covered street in the middle of Crestwood, is a hospice. And it's exploring a new way of providing end-of-life care in Edmonton. We are Edmonton's only first and only freestanding residential hospice center. My name is Monica Robson. I'm the executive director at Pilgrim's Hospice Society and the Rusin Family Hospice Center. We provide um, supportive programming and end-of-life, residential end-of-life care for people who are living with a life-limiting or terminal illness and supporting their families and loved ones as well. Uh, One of the main differences between a freestanding model and the... um, the model, which is within a a larger facility, I think, is that um, all of our programming that goes alongside the residential hospice care. So we have a hospice day program for people that are living at home and are well enough to be living at home, but are living with a life-limiting illness. So it's recreational wellness programming. The, The admission criteria is a prognosis of three months to live or less. Um, They've got a progressive life-limiting illness. Uh, They're no longer seeking active curative treatment and their goals of care are C1 or C2, which are comfort care. So pain and symptom management, keeping people comfortable, um, but like I said, not active treatment. 
those individuals or care needs can range. Some are, I would say, easier to manage. Others may have much more complex care needs. Um, we certainly do pride ourselves here at the Risen Family Hospice Centre with being able to meet quite a range of care needs. Uh, we have a group of four physicians um, that rotate through and they uh, there's a, a physician on site every day. So we're able to um, care for people whose needs may be more acute than other settings. Um, we have uh, now been able to care for um, patients with ALS. So we can help the system by keeping them out of a hospital bed, but their care needs wouldn't be able to be met elsewhere. It has everything you'd imagine in a long-term medical center. Rooms for the residents, a kitchen to make the meals, and equipment and staff. When they opened the center earlier this year, Robson says they took special care to make it feel like a home. So when we designed um, and built and furnished the Risen Family Hospice Center, everything that we did uh, focused on making sure that this, this place, this building, felt warm and comfortable and very not institutional. Um, the building itself is, uh, you know, it, it's pretty high tech in the, um, you know, in the systems, the building systems within it um, and within the resident suites. You know, we've got the overhead lift systems. We've got all of the state of the art equipment, um, but it's been incorporated into the building in a way that um, makes it feel very homelike and warm and inviting. And, uh, and that was very, very much intentional. If someone has to come here for care and their choice would have been, I'd want to stay at home as long as I can. If they come here, we want it to feel as homelike as possible. You know, there are some people who would say that, you know, this is nicer than any home they've ever lived in. I would say it's probably nicer than my house. <laughs> um, it, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of thought and intention that went into this, into the design and into the building. Obviously, a lot of thought went into the design of the center, but much of the work that they do happens outside these walls. A large emphasis is put on working within the community, providing services to people who have terminal illnesses but can still live at home. The other program that helps a lot with people living at home is our newly launched um, Home Visiting Hub. And so that is a group of physicians, and we've just added an, a nurse to that program as well, who... Um, we'll take on patients in the community, palliative patients in the community who um, can no longer go into their own family physician's office and their family physician doesn't do home visits. So our physicians go out and see patients in their homes so they, they can no longer get to a physician's office. Um, and so that also helps to keep people at home longer because they go and they do the home visits quite often, they'll go weekly. Um, they're checking in. There is 24-7 coverage, like phone coverage. If they if the family runs into any issues or concerns after hours, they can call in and uh, and get help with that right over the phone. Or if the physician has to go out or our nurse when she starts next month, then we'll be able to provide that as well. We definitely offer support and programming much earlier in the process than um, than the other traditional hospice um, facilities within the Edmonton zone. And we offer those services to anybody that would need them to. So it's not necessarily that someone 
may come to us for end of life care as well, like 24 seven care. They may actually end up in one of the other hospice facilities, um, but still had access to services from us before that point in time. Um, their family could still be supported through that um, with their anticipatory grief and then, um, and then post-death as well, um, supporting the family and loved ones through their grief journey. So I'm a big believer in the freestanding hospice model because I think one of the biggest benefits is the fact that we can support people from diagnosis all the way through the grief journey and at each point in between, and that we have a range of programs and services that can help people um, when they need it and how they need it. So, you know, we may help people in the community who never ever need residential hospice care, or we may have somebody that comes to residential hospice care that's never accessed another program. Um, but the, the fact that our programming is so varied and can meet the needs of people where they are at and when they are at that point, I think is the biggest benefit of a freestanding model. Um, and there's the continuity too. So for those that do access programming all the way through their journey, you know, it's familiar faces. It's, it's an organization that they're comfortable with. It's, it's people that they know. Um, and so there, there's a comfort in that. And I think too, um, one of the benefits too is, you know, once you start to access programming and services through us, you don't have to retell your story every single time either, which can be very tiring for, um, for patients or, you know, the old person and their loved ones. And so to know that, you know, they already know where I'm at and they already have already worked with this person and they're going to, you know, transfer the information to the next person that I'm going to be dealing with within the organization. And I don't have to go through that again and again and again can be a relief for people. But for a lot of people, their needs aren't just medical. They can also be social. Volunteers go out in the community to help meet those needs, which could be anything from help writing letters to just talking. Maybe for milestone, like events in their life that their loved one is no longer going to be alive for, but they want to leave, you know, say a letter for their daughter on their wedding day type of thing. So they can help with that kind of stuff. A lot of times it's just companionship. It's just having somebody um, to spend time with, to talk to, or, you know, play cards or whatever it might be. Um, who's not so focused on the illness because um, a lot of times family is very focused on how are you feeling and, you know, very focused on the illness and, and the individual might just want to talk about gardening or hockey or some of their favorite things. And so having a volunteer come in and spend that time with them. The social component is really important for, um, for people to have support in as they progress through an illness. Um, you know, just because we become ill doesn't, it changes us in, in many ways, but it doesn't necessarily change the things that we were interested in or that we enjoyed or that we accomplished in our lives. And so being able to still focus on those good things and focus on those conversations um, outside of just the illness and what's happening to them physically is really important for people's well-being um, and, you know, to maintain interest in what's going on in life for as long as you're alive to do that. Robson says a lot of the work they do is also to help the family and friends. Anybody who's taking care of a seriously ill loved one knows it can be extremely demanding, both emotionally and physically. It can be. Um, we often hear from caregivers just how tired they are, how, and, and again, how, um, 
how difficult it can be to look after someone as they as their illness progresses, they become weaker, they need more help, even with things like going to the bathroom or getting out of bed. And then, you know, sometimes there are falls at home and things like that. Um, so again, if we can provide more support in the home a little bit, then that helps offset that. And then it allows the caregiver some time to do other things that might be go shopping, it might be go out for a hair appointment, it might be, you know, have a nap or <laughs> anything that sometimes is, is more difficult to do when you're looking after somebody um, who needs more help at home. The center also offers grief counseling and other services for people who have lost loved ones, a process that can actually start before the person passes away. Anticipatory grief is something that we see a lot. And it's, um, you know, people start grieving before their loved one has actually died because obviously they're anticipating their, their death. So being able to help people understand those feelings, um, provide them with tools and coping mechanisms um, so that they can move through that while still being able to experience the quality time that they want to spend with their loved one while they are still alive. Um, And then post-death, we know there's been many studies that have been done that, you know, people who are well supported through their grief are able to go back to work earlier, are able to cope with their grief and have an, an, an expectation of what they may feel in the future and have some tools and resources to be able to deal with that. Um, One of the things too that we have found is we do individual counseling for children, families, teens, and adults, and we do group counseling as well. And um, a lot of times the group counseling, it really helps people realize that they're not alone in this because it can be a very isolating feeling when you're grieving the death of a loved one and you feel like, you know, you're the only one who feels this way and people don't quite understand. And so to have a peer group that is experience, having very similar experiences, maybe not the death of their loved one in the same way, but certainly the feelings that they're experiencing afterwards and, you know, going through those milestones, like the first birthday or the first holiday season um, and understanding that, you know, everyone around you is really happy through the holidays and you're finding it really hard to be happy this holiday season and, and knowing that that's okay and, and giving people permission to, to take the time that they need and to do what they need to do to help them get through that, that first milestone. And a lot of times what we find is the ill person will say to us that I'm not really worried about myself. Like I know what's happening to me and I've accepted what's happening to me, but they're very concerned about their loved ones and about knowing that their loved ones are going to be okay after they die. And so being able to support their loved ones and also being able to give the individual our resident or patient um, the peace of mind that their loved ones will be cared for um, after they are no longer here, I think is something that's very meaningful and something that we pride ourselves on being able to do. Our grief counseling um, programming is is available for anybody who has experienced the death of a loved one from any cause. Um, so not necessarily connected to Pilgrim's Hospice Society through um, our, any of our programming or the Residential Hospice Center, but also people who um, their loved one may have died by accident or, you know, another medical cause, um, all sorts of other things. Uh, a lot of times we've had individuals here whose loved ones who died by suicide or um, overdose. Uh, so our team is well equipped to support people 
through um, the grief journey, no matter how their, their loved one has died. At the moment, the hospice is almost entirely funded through donations. This might be the first freestanding hospice in the city, but it's a model that Robson says has had a lot of success in other provinces. Being a part of the patient's journey earlier on in the diagnosis, and not just in the final days of their life, can make things feel less overwhelming and more comfortable, she says. And she hopes the center's focus on dealing with grief and loss in the community can help change the way we as a society deal with death and dying. I think society still tends to be um, death denying so we don't want to talk about death we don't we we know and I know you know people don't even want us sometimes to use the word die or death we we use other words in place of them um, we're very mindful here that we do say that somebody has died or they're experiencing the death of a loved one um, and I think grief is very similar too we People are uncomfortable with grief. It is, you know, we don't know what to say or how to say it or how to support someone. Um, and I think what we we find is that when you when you don't say it, it it's actually harder for the person than when you just recognize that you know what I recognize that what you're going through is probably really difficult, and I don't have that personal experience. But I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you, or I just want you to know that I'm here if you want to talk. Um, one of the things we hear often from our um, grief clients is people become afraid to say the person's name who's died. And yet the, the grieving individual doesn't want to forget that person. They want to know that that person is remembered. So even just recognizing and, and saying their name and um, being mindful that because someone has died does not mean that somebody has disappeared out of, out of someone's life. They're always a part of your life and they're always in your heart. And so as friends and family and colleagues, we should, we should recognize them. We should, and recognize that. And I think too, just realizing that, you know, grief is not five bereavement days and you're back to work. Grief takes a lot longer and um, it, it can be with you probably for some people for the rest of their lives. It just, it becomes something that you learn to live with and you can live with more easily. Um, but there are moments that, you know, it comes flooding back and we have to recognize for people that that is okay and just to to allow people to have that that experience and to just be there for them and support them through it a big thank you to scott lilwall for bringing us this story and thanks to monica robson for sharing her time with us Monica is the executive director of the Pilgrims Hospice Society and the Rusin Family Hospice Centre. If you'd like to learn more about Pilgrims Hospice Society and the Rusin Family Hospice Centre, you can go to pilgrimshospice.com. They also have some great resources for those who are grieving, and we'll have links in our show notes. Also in our notes are links to ECF's upcoming granting deadlines and the latest on our ECF blog. We'd love to stay connected so you can stay in the know about funding opportunities or find out how you can support your community. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with everyone you know. If you have time, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us. 
You can also connect with us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Bonking. Until Until next next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.